Welcome to the Better the Pond podcast. In each episode, Warren Berry, CEO and founder of Instinctive Solutions, talks to amazing people doing incredible things that lead the charge of generosity. We'll discover what makes each guest a bit of an odd duck and how they continue to better the pond around us. The migration starts right now with our host, Warren Berry. And I want to welcome you to another episode of the Better the Pond podcast, where we talk to amazing people doing incredible things that lead the charge of generosity. My name is Warren Berry, and I'm your host and the founder of Instinctive Solutions, where we believe that everyone is an odd duck, but that's what makes them awesome. Today, our guest is Byron Brooks. Three words that best describe Byron collaboration, leadership, and community. An avid reader, learner, and an honors graduate of the University of Life. Byron is all about building relationships, inspiring those around him, and innovating new ways of doing business. His guidance counselor growing up stated that if he was lucky, that he may make it to the community college. At the time, he didn't realize it, but that counselor fanned a flame that would never be extinguished. That moment in time led Byron to being the home builder and developer that he is today. Byron created builders, designs, and brews to create a collaboration in an industry where only competition existed. We have now coined the term collaboration, and believe it or not, no beer was involved. Byron is consistently creating ripples by helping his industry grow, inspiring and leading those around him to become better, and helping organizations like the YW Hub in Calgary, assisting women in need. Grab a cool pint and listen to what Byron is doing to better the pond. Byron Brooks, I want to thank you so much for taking the time uh, out of your busy life to be a guest on my Better the Pond podcast. It is great to have you. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, so um, we met, what, a week ago, I guess, approximately uh, through Tech Canada, and we've had some conversations since then, and uh, so I'm just really excited to have people like you uh, as a guest to be able to share your stories and what you're doing to better the pond. For sure. Well, hopefully I can, hopefully I can fulfill that requirement and <laughs> share, share some of the things I've learned along the way. Absolutely. So let's take you back. So Byron, what got you from being a gosling to leaving the nest to where you are today? Byron Brooks, what is your backstory? And when I say a gosling, we're taking you all the way back. What is your humble beginnings? All right. Uh, okay, going all the way back. So I was uh, so I was born in uh, I was born in Vancouver or in Burnaby rather, so the Lower Mainland of British Columbia. Um, and at age six, my dad felt uh, a calling to pursue ministry. So oh. that led to a world of us moving uh, all over the country with myself and my four younger siblings. Uh, so we moved a lot of times, like from, I think, I think the number was something like I moved 21 times by the time I was 23. So it was, uh, so it was a lot of moving, which was, which was uh, in, in retrospect, it was, um, like it, it sucked at the time because you're you're making friends, you're leaving friends, you're um, you're going through all this. Um, but I also think it's a neat opportunity. But maybe we'll dig into that later. But the um, so moved all over the place uh, all through that time. I was going to uh, a series of small 
um, usually Christian schools in the different places that we lived, and I was just not a good student, um, not for aptitude, more for attitude at the time. I just I wasn't a good fit. So uh, I was in high school in Ontario, and my principal invited me to leave a little bit early um, to go explore uh, what career opportunities were out there in the world. And so I, I took his <laughs> I took his generous offer to depart high school and. Uh, went to pursue um, a carpentry career. I had a bunch of uncles who were carpenters. Oh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take you back here. You've got me like absolutely intrigued. So I want to go back to so your dad had a calling to ministry. What did your dad do prior to that? Uh, he was so we uh, he was a flower salesman. So he worked in a uh, he worked in a greenhouse and then he did um, flower sales. We we're uh, uh, I have a Dutch background and that's one thing that Dutch people do is grow flowers and sell flowers and that's the industry that he that he fell into. Uh, and so he would. I remember going to work with him. We would drive around to like Safeways and he would deliver flowers. It was cool because the greenhouses smell really good. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's uh, it was always fun to to be around that. Um, but then, yeah, so that was his career. He shifted from that directly into um, going to school. And so do you remember, did he ever talk about like what shifted him from one to the next? That's a pretty big, you know, all of a sudden a big career change, right? And now your life is now, you know, all over the place. Yeah, uh, we we have talked about it. It's uh, not to say it's contentious, but it's it's something we viewed uh, differently. So he felt he felt like a, a a divine calling. He also there was also ministry in his family, so it wasn't uh, mm. it wasn't an un, un like an untrodden path. Um, his his father was also a pastor, uh, so but he was resistant to pursuing ministry until uh, until that time. Um, so I can't really there there is no clear explana- explanation beyond that. He that's how he describes it. He felt a calling to pursue ministry. Okay. And how many siblings do you have? I have four younger siblings. So I have uh, uh, two brothers and two sisters. Ah. And you're the big brother. That's me. And did, was it your responsibility to take care of them all? <laughs> no, no, not really. No, we, we look back. So there's like, there's two years between all of us. Um, uh, but we look back and my mom did a, did a whole bunch of work to keep everything stitched together. Like I, I like moving, like even now I'm like, so I've lived in our house uh, with my wife and my kids for uh, eight years now, and I'm 40, and that's actually the longest I've lived in one place in my whole life, which is like, it's it's uh, reassuring, but it also like makes me itchy sometimes, but which, yeah. which is fine. Anyway, moving is like a ton of work. Never mind moving with five kids and moving across the country and new school and everything. So when we look back, our parents did a great job of, uh, we, we felt loved the whole time. We didn't realize how... Um, how impoverished we were until you like look back at pictures and you're like hey like that's a hand-me-down that's a hand-me-down that's a like so 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 our parents did a great job uh, my mom especially did a great job of keeping all that stitched together and with my siblings it's great because because of all that moving we became our own sort of cohort and our internal friends so even now we have have great relationships with all with all my siblings even though they're spread out um, all over the world oh they are so everybody's so where is everybody now uh, okay, let's see. Uh, my uh, Katrina is in Langley with her with her husband and kids. Uh, Lucas uh, still works in a greenhouse. Uh, not still works in a greenhouse. Works in a greenhouse and is in uh, uh, Surrey, BC. Uh, and then my mom is in Surrey as well. My sister Janelle is in Australia. My brother Gregory is here in Calgary. And then my dad is in Edmonton. 
Oh, so you are a little splashed. When, when, when decided to, uh, let me guess, uh, it was post high school. I want to go to Australia for, you know, to go check out the world and then never came back. I forget. I forget how, how Janelle ended up there. She's, uh, Janelle is a, uh, a zoologist or a biologist or some combination of both. So um, very passionate about animals and conservation. And so uh, that led her to meet her partner who is Australian. Uh, he's they're funny. He's like a legit crocodile hunter. He's got some of the coolest jobs. So he's like the, the, the government of Australia employed him for a while to move crocodiles from salt water to fresh water or something. So like literally, and they, they go out at night and like, and look for snakes. And so we get all kinds of weird uh, pictures from them, which is interesting. He also had a job uh, at the Vancouver airport. They still use, uh, it's like a low tech solution, but they use um, birds of prey. So eagles and falcons and owls to deter seagulls and geese. Um, so sorry, goslings uh, from entering the, <laughs> the airspace uh, around there. So he like, that was his job when he did it in Vancouver was like, he was a falconer working at the airport, which was super cool. Anyway, so she's so she's over there and they work for, uh, I think they're doing some work right now related to, you remember the wildfires that they had in Australia? Mm-hmm. They're doing some work related to um, like animal surveys uh, in that. So again, they have a, they have an interesting life, which is neat to see uh, in our family WhatsApp chat. Yeah. That's, wow. That's pretty, actually, that's pretty cool. I got, I got to admit. So, mm-hmm. um, so then I'm just going to bring you up to speed. Then I tell about in high school. So you, are, I want to just dabble a little bit into when you said, you know, about in school and not really fitting in and your teacher uh, having a conversation with you and you deciding to sort of move out of school. So what was, what was that like for you um, in the education system? And we've talked about this a little bit before, and I'd just like to hear your experience. Um, it was just it was it was it was uh, it was it was frustrating mostly is I guess the best the best way to put it and like and teenagers are tricky too right but so basically what it amounted to is like um, I, I like to learn I like to read um, I, I always did well on tests and in school but I know I did very poorly on homework or any uh, any kind of follow follow up um, so that that led to a lot of like. Uh, like they were constantly talking about how I was missing my potential. Um, and so, but I, but what they viewed as my potential was different from what, from what I viewed and what I liked doing was um, I worked on a series of farms all throughout high school. And so I liked just working. Like I just, uh, there was something, um, there was a joy in that and just like, in just getting shit done basically. Mm-hmm. So, so that, so that's where, and, and at, at the time I, I think and hope that, um, that's changed a little bit, but at the time, the path, especially from a, a small private school, the path was university. That's like, that's where you're trying to go. And then like, then a bunch of steps below that was like community college. And then we, you weren't even talking about trades or nursing or anything, like anything technical. So it was, so it was, uh, it was when the guidance counselor said something like, well, if you're, if you're lucky, you might make it into community college. And I'm thinking, I'm looking around and thinking, okay, all the parents in this school are farmers and carpenters and builders and caretakers and like, and, or, and, or entrepreneurs. Like, why aren't we talking about any of these things? Why? Like, I'm not going to go to university. You guys have sucked the life out of me for however many years now. There's no way I'm going to go spend 30 or 40 grand to just get beat up more. Um, and so anyway, so then I went straight into, um, into trades 
uh, from there, but very intentionally. Like uh, trades is an interesting one. I think as a product of that um, of that situation, certainly 20 years ago or more, um, where pushing people along an academic path led to a lack of um, really skilled and qualified people in the trades because it was viewed as somewhat less than. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's I think that's totally wrong. Um, I think there's a lot of really interesting career paths. So it frustrated me that that they couldn't even look at that. Um, and then I then I went off. So then I, I was intentional about um, if I was going to be a, a carpenter, then I want to be the best carpenter that I could be. So I was intentional about getting started on my apprenticeship and ensuring that the people I surrounded myself with were people I wanted to emulate and people that could teach me things. Um, and just shifting your my attitude on site. I remember one thing that really helped me. I worked for a number of years in commercial construction in, in Vancouver. So building big high rises, um, complete opposite of this woodworking bench that's behind me. So we would be it's like the roughest, dirtiest um, work, which was uh, enjoyable when I was in my 20s, because again, I just liked working. But one thing that, I, that really helped me was um, I would look at everybody on the job site and say, okay, this guy can do three things better than I can. And until I've learned those three things, I have no right to criticize anything that they do. And then once I've learned those three things, chances are if there was three, there's probably another three. So I have to, so I put myself in a cycle of continuously mm. trying to learn. And it could be the way a laborer scraped the edge of a piece of plywood before he stacked it. Like there's all these little tips and tricks, but it's, but you only are open mm -hmm. to that if you kind of shift your mind to, to um, accepting that everybody can teach you something. So that was that was helpful for me through my whole path. I have to ask you a question here, and I think it's really important. And it's really important, I think, if any younger listener, um, it's something that your guidance counselor said, if you're lucky, you might make it to community, to community college. Yeah. What was the message, number one, in behind that to you? And how did you interpret that? Because I just think it's fascinating how, as a student, you said, if you're lucky, you will make it too, right? It's yeah. almost like you, that's so to me, what I hear is that it's questioning your intelligence, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what's yeah, the message? Yeah, oh, I, I don't know what he was, he, the, the irony there. So I, this was in Sarnia, um, Ontario. That guidance counselor was also my dad's guidance counselor when he lived in Hamilton while he was growing up. So that, that, that um, some of his that guidance counselor's thoughts may have been a bit outdated by that time, but yeah, no, it was a, it was um, it was yeah, it was definitely uh, it made me feel like like I said, made me feel less than, mm -hmm. which to me turned into fuel for like a little bit of an fu. I'm gonna find success my own way. I think your way is stupid, um, but yeah, it was just it was it was not. It was not so, so. I think it's a problem with a lot of that education. Is it's we're trying to apply a general system to a whole bunch of individuals, and it just doesn't work. And so this was him applying the general system that he saw and he believed in. But I was just I didn't fit within that kind of uh, I didn't fit within that spectrum. I didn't automatically do what I was told, and I was a little too um, questioning, which certainly didn't fit well in a in a in a in a Christian school as well. So. Well, and being a non-conformist in a, in a very highly conformist environment probably didn't suit you well. Mm -hmm. um, but interesting enough, right? And I, I'm just bringing this up for a point because I think that, you know, having kids understand uh, themselves and in the education system is, is highly important. We talked about this, but, but it's like if you go into a trade, 
that means that you aren't intelligent. That's sort of the, that's the correlation between the two points. And it's just so ridiculous when you actually sit back and think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, that you, you are, so you like to work with your hands, which has nothing, you like to you like to build and construct and, right? Which has nothing to do with intelligence at all. You can be a very yeah. intelligent builder, but, mm. you know, but it's that natural drive. And I look at my son now who's 17 and he wants to go into like, agricultural mechanics and he loves working on the farm and he's out there with a yes. chainsaw cutting wood and he's just in his glory he's absolutely yeah. he's just lit up and you put him in the classroom and, and more so actually through this time where he's been at home um on you know on zoom right and it's just it's just sucking the life out of him right mm-hmm. and um so with that you know here's a kid who's he's he, you know, he really doesn't like school and he's not doing terribly well in it because he's just, he's not interested. He's rather mm-hmm. build, building something, right? Yeah. He's all like you. And yeah. uh, so that, that, you know, but he's, but he's very smart. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's interesting that that whole trade piece and, and probably it's changing now a little bit, but back then it was like, you're less than because you want to go work with your hands. Yeah. And not yeah, being an intellectual. Like it's just, just does, it boggles my mind. Yeah, it's very odd, and then but but that you, that they're so separated too that that you can and I think you can be you can be both like mm-hmm. the the gentleman farmer model. <laughs> it's like and you have to be intelligent because you're balancing all these things. Like that's where so in in my career and where it where it circles back is now I, I I actively pursue some of the things they were trying to teach me in high school because it applies to my work in terms mm-hmm. of like. Um, one of my the biggest parts of my job now as as a manager of a company is like uh, how do I set my employees up for success? How do I manage the uh, the emotions of my clients? How do I understand this? Like I, I remember walking out of my accounting twelve course the day the, on the first day uh, because it was just like it was just spreadsheets and numbers and stacked textbooks and I just stood up and I was like sorry Mrs O this isn't going to work for both of us I'm going to go across the hall. And, and see if I can join the um, grade 13 English course. And she was just like, uh, you can't really do that, but uh, I guess so then, but, but so now ironically, now I like have to take accounting courses, but I like it because it applies to uh, setting the people on my team up for success through our work. So um, yeah, but I, I don't know. So but I think, I think the attitudes have shifted. So I think there would be a world where, where your son can find a viable path. And I know there are a lot of organizations um, there's one here in Calgary called uh, TEPF. I don't know what it stands for, but if you start looking at the, the technical colleges, the SAITs, and we have SAIT mm-hmm. here, you probably have an equivalent one there. Yeah. Um, there are lots of programs to, to get people started on the right path. And I, yeah, I empathize with a lot of the, certainly teenagers right now that are, I can't imagine online school and the extra restrictions that COVID puts on them. It would be a, it'd be a stressful time in, in what should be a, a pretty carefree time of your life. Yeah, absolutely. So shifting gears here a little bit. So when, when was it then you actually left the nest? When did you leave home and start venturing out on forth on your own? Oh yeah. We're, yeah, we're okay. Let's go back again. Um, so, uh, in high school, I was always working, uh, I worked, like I said, on farms and then the summers I went out. Uh, so if we were living in Ontario in the summers, I went out to BC to work, uh, with my uncles and their construction companies, 
Um, and then right before the end of um, of high school there, so I, I got uninvolved with high school. And then uh, right the day that high school ended, one of my buddies graduated and we jumped in a car and drove to um, drove to BC. Uh, and then and then that's when I entered um, the construction world full time and started pursuing my apprenticeship. Um, so then went from there. So I worked in in and around Vancouver area for um, 10 years uh, while I did that apprenticeship. Uh, then I um, was just looking around and I had kind of um, capped out where I was in, the, in that world and that like big commercial construction. So I was a, I was a foreman, I was leading a team, it was, it was fun, uh, but I looked around and there were not a lot of models that I wanted to emulate in that world. And I wanted to uh, explore more of the craft side of our, of our business. And I wanted to have a connection with the people that were using the things that I was building. So that's something that's missing in commercial construction. You're just sort of there hammering away, building these things. And what I really liked, I had done a couple of renovation projects um, and that was interesting to get to see uh, to engage with the clients and to really understand what the intentions were behind these projects that we were doing and how people were going to interact with them later. Um, so I liked that. And then I also liked the finishing carpentry side. So in uh, 2010 or so, I went to uh, took a year off and I went to a woodworking school on the Sunshine Coast of, um, of BC. Mm-hmm. So I took a year and uh, and did that, which was amazing. Like I look back now and it was such a neat opportunity to just spend a, a year living in a cabin in the rainforest, biking to work or work, biking to school every day where I had got to work making handmade tools and handmade everything. So the complete opposite of the sort of commodity driven commercial construction. Um, and then from there that stemmed, well, then I was broke. So I went back to work <laughs> in, in commercial construction, which led me here to Calgary. Uh, running a crew, building an LRT station, and then uh, that led to working as a finishing carpenter for a, a large custom home builder, um, doing a, a couple interesting projects here. Uh, and then in 2013, we had a flood here in Calgary, which which uh, uh, meant that the house we had just finished completing, I had gone out on my own to start my own company in the interim, but then the flood happened, and the clients of that large house we were working on invited myself and my partner back. Um, to do the flood restoration uh, and a few other, there were a few other projects in the same area. And then that grew from there eight years ago or so to where we are now, where we have 14 people on our team, uh, 16, we have two different companies, one that does more commercial work and one that does um, custom residences. And so it's led to here now, which is, which is exciting. It's always just, it's neat to see where it goes and it's neat to see my, my team kind of growing around me and, and, uh, and growing in their own roles um, and seeing stuff happen now. It's like, oh, that's, oh, that's, we're working on that now. That's cool. I didn't know that was happening. That's, uh, that's some of my most exciting moments um, now. So, is that, so I don't know if that, could, that gets us almost to today. That, that almost gets us today. Exactly. And there, I know you have another business. We'll, we'll tie that in. But I just want to, you know, if you look, think back of your journey of, I mean, obviously it was a lot had to do with construction and whatnot. So you did commercial construction, you did some, some building, you know, hand, you know, did woodworking, you did restoration, you did renovations, right? Now you became an entrepreneur, you did your own thing. If you were to look at all those things, what was your favorite job? What was the job that you did that you were just in your wheelhouse? Oh, good question. Um, well, I think that's constantly shifting, but I have, 
it's dumb, but I have fond memories of, of baling hay <laughs> because because it would, when I worked on the farms in Ontario, it's like you just work like and, and so that was satisfying. But I think more so like pertinent to our, our current day situation, um, we've built a few uh, we've built a few beautiful homes and there's one in particular. Um, I worked on a, a wood screen detail, like an architectural wood screen with myself and my, my brother Gregory was working uh, with me as an apprentice at the time. Um, and so we spent like six or seven months building this wood screen hmm. uh, and it's just, it's just beautiful. Um, so I think that's sort of one of the, one of the proudest um, achievements, uh, certainly of my, of my carpentry, um, carpentry career. And then, and then lately, um, it's not one specific job, but I got a I got a really nice email from a designer. Uh, I took him for a tour uh, through one of our active projects, and I got a really nice email from him, um, just mentioning how uh, how we're having our our unique perspective is changing the way um, construction the construction industry operates in southern Alberta, um, and so that was really that was really gratifying, and that he was able to recognize that not just through the the stuff I'm, I'm spewing, but also through the actions of my team and the way people were working together on site. Um, so I think that was certainly of, of the last year and that was satisfying um, and piggybacks on to uh, a client came through one of our sites um, and the job was, uh, it was a very difficult job, uh, um, but she came through and she uh, told us after, she said, I, I love coming to the house because I, I go there and it's like everybody wants to be there. And I thought, oh, cool, that we've created this environment. And that's not just our team. That's also the trades and also the suppliers and everybody that 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 reads through for the clients. Like that's just something to them about um, what's going into their project and the house they're going to live in. If they had a good experience going through the construction process and recognize that uh, it's not just them, but other people as well. I think that's mm -hmm. that's pretty darn cool. That I mean, that what a what a great well, number one, great from a business standpoint, a great culture, but what a great experience for the, for the, for the customer, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like everybody, everyone is caring about what we're doing, about what you're, what they're doing rather than just mm. going through the motions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm, for sure. Oh, wow. Good, good on you. That's fun. I mean, I think that's what, you know, companies strive to accomplish and you've you've managed to do that and and i will say just kind of knowing you in the short time that i have i mean i think you're just a, somebody who just you know from your standpoint just building relationships really matters right and doing what you do really matters and that you know when you set the example for the people around you right you set the stage mm -hmm. so good on you thanks <laughs> um so I, just, I, I don't know i just witnessed these things in people and it's uh, i don't know i don't know i don't know how but 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 it just sort of it shines through and it's to me it's just very clear and um i'm just glad there's people out you you know out there and it just goes back to my whole thing what better the pond like it's just you know putting that positive attitude out there and putting that leadership out there and, and, and inspiring people to do the same, right. Just makes the world a better place, whether it's in construction or if it's in farming or if it's in retail, right. It's, it's, you know, but it is, it is basically kind of shining a light on it and, and putting that forward and, and setting the stage for other people to follow. Yeah, no. And that's, and that's been, yeah, it's been fun to see that play out for myself as well. And like I said, some of the proudest moments lately are, are things that, um, people on my team do or, or comments we get from from an outside organization 
um, which is just sort of a reassurance that some of the weird and quirky paths we head down are actually the right ones. I'm not just for us, but possibly for other people as well. Right. So what, uh, what's your other, so you have Brookwright, which is your construction company uh, where mm-hmm. you're doing, um, you're doing custom homes and you're doing some really high end work. It's pretty amazing. If anybody goes to your website to see the work that you're doing is pretty jaw dropping, if you ask me. Um, and then what's your other company? Uh, our other company is called Brighton Projects. So we, we recognize, so p- part of why we've uh, been successful um, in construction is we we just chose to take a little bit of a different approach to the way we engage with architects and designers. Like traditionally, our industry views them as an impediment to progress, whereas we've chosen to shift it and see them as an integral part of the, the team that's required to create amazing projects. Um, so we have we've been successful with that in Brookwright construct in Brookwright. Uh, and then uh, we wanted to serve those design partners in commercial and retail and multifamily spaces as well, because often architecture and design firms work in both spaces. And so it basically, we just got tired of saying no, like we don't do that kind of project. To, um, so then we started a separate company, which uh, my partner Aaron manages. Uh, and that's been, that's been interesting to explore as well. They were doing a, um, a nutrition consulting business and a coffee shop. Um, right now, which are fun projects. And so like I was saying before, like we still have that connection to the end user, but the interesting thing about a commercial project, certainly a hospitality or a restaurant is now you can go back, you can go back there and, and see it the way it was intended to be um, to be used. And that's, that's pretty gratifying and pretty exciting um, from our end. Um, and you also have to uh, let the listeners know, because you, you got my attention earlier when you said your office um, in, in Brookwright. What, where is that located? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's a good, and that's a good, uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was that, was Builders and Brews. So we also, um, we have a group called Builders and Brews, but my office is located in uh, Annex Ale Project. So I'm in a craft brewery. So the wall behind me, uh, not that wall, but that wall over there is, uh, is floor to ceiling pallets of craft beer. So it's a, it's a dangerous, but exciting environment to, uh, <laughs> to, to, to work in. Also makes it a no brainer when we get back to in-person meetings, it's like, well, where do you want to meet your office or mine? Yeah. Now it's pretty easy. Now it's all, it's all coming this way, which is great. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That, a dangerous environment. I mean, talk about self, this is like mastery of self-control. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I could go, I could go out that door. <laughs> Yeah, or I can stay on this walk side. around. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. And we, our office manager, so we, we do have a discount on beer downstairs, but we, uh, but our office manager really put the brakes on. But I was like, why don't we just like start a tab? Can I do that? Like, <laughs> there's just something about that where it's like, I'll just go to, just hey, but just put it on my tab. She's like, and she cursed and just, no, Byron, you may not start a tab <laughs> at, the, at the brewery in the office. That's, that's just a terrible idea. Yeah. So it's probably, yeah, probably, it's probably wise, probably wise that I, I listened to her counsel there. That was, that was very wise counsel. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so shifting gears, and I, and I do want to dig into, when we're talking about what are you doing to better the pond, I want to, do, mm. I want to dig into that piece uh, of that, of what you're doing to make the world a better place, which is the, the basis of what, why we're here are today. But um, so I know, I believe that we're, that we're all odd ducks. I believe that we're all misfits. And can you tell me something about, about you, Byron, that's, that's made you a, a misfit, that's made you different, that can be positive or negative. Um, what have you done differently to stand out? 
what have I done differently to stand out? Um, I think one of the one of the main things that certainly certainly lately um, is is just a, a commitment to to transparency and idea sharing that I think uh, doesn't exist in in construction. So both with when we deal with our clients and our architect and design partners, we'll, we're full open book. We'll show them everything. But beyond that, we'll also share some of that information on Instagram. So like we'll tell our competitors what we charge and how we do it. And, and because I think, um, I don't think that information is as precious as it once was, partly because we all have the internet and, and the, <laughs> both us or our competitors or our clients can find all the information anyway, if they're willing to look hard enough, well, let's just shortcut that and let's just share that with everybody um, in an effort to make our industry better and to position ourselves as a trusted resource um, before, often before we've even met um, potential clients or potential design partners. So I think, I think that's one. I'm sure it's a funny, I'm probably not the person to ask. You'd ask my wife, she, <laughs> she would probably have have different answers, but which, which would be interesting. I should maybe I should ask her that. But uh, but yeah, no, that that's what jumps to mind for me immediately. Okay, so let me let me dig a little bit into that because you've you've got again you've got me intrigued. I'm very curious. Is you know when you look at having that transparency and the the the, the honesty and just, hey hey here it is right. Um, were you the driver behind that when it came to you know putting mm-hmm. that out there yeah. for the for the company? Yep. So. What's the driver in behind that? What is it about you? Because this, you know, again, not many industries will do that. Not many industries will go and say, hey, we're going to lay everything on the table. We're going to work with a client. We're going to lay everything on the table and have that be that transparent. What is it about you that drove you to do that? I, it's, it, I feel like it's kind of an intangible. Like I can't really point to a moment where I was like, this is the right decision. It's more, that's just what felt better. Like through... Through different iterations, we tried it all sorts of different ways of, of holding this information back and reframing this in this way to present it, and and it's just it's just what felt better. I, I think it's actually an advantage as well because if you recognize that certainly on a custom home project, the clients are a critical part of that team, and they're often the least informed, so they don't have a lot of information, right? Because there's a there's a heavy information imbalance because we know what's going on because that's our our industry, mm-hmm. whereas we're asking the clients to pay for it all, but where a big part of my job now is client education and emotional management. But what really helps with that is we can engage them as part of the team that it takes to put a project together um, that uh, puts them in a much more powerful and respected um, position, which, which I think is helpful. And that transparency uh, kind of sets you off on that, on that path. So yeah, there was no, there was no real clear moment or no book I read or anything. It was just that felt, it feels better to, to operate that way. Um, and so that's how we've chosen to, to carry ourselves. But I think that goes back to also saying we said earlier about, you know, the environment, you know, with the environment that you've created and the, and the end, the end user, the end customer of having that, that experience that you care about, about what happens, you care about, their home you care about them as a, as a person which is much mm-hmm. bigger than just building a home yeah we sorry i'm laughing because we joke about uh, brian my partner wanted to call uh he wanted to call our company complete compassionate services <laughs> 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 so we joke we joke about that we call ourselves uh, ccs internally sometimes <laughs> because we we care we really do <laughs> but we we could joke about it but we, we do no it's a yeah and i think it it, like I say, it just, it just feels better. So I can't, I can't put a, 
uh, a metric to it, except mm. that except that that's the case, and and it feels better uh, to our team as well. Yeah, and I don't want to sound all fluffy with it, but but it, to me, it's just it's it's uh, that's authenticity. That's just like mm. we 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 practice what we preach. We we do what we say. We yeah. it's getting back to the really the basics, right? And um, and I think that really matters in business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's the thing that computers are never going to be able to do. Computers aren't going to be able to empathize. They're not going to be able to be authentic to who they are. Um, they're going to replace a lot. Technology is going to replace a lot of the other humdrum things that we do, but it's never going to be able to touch that. So I think that's where the power is, not just in our business, but in a lot of businesses moving forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So next question is, now, Byron, when did somebody do something for you that left an impact on your life, that left a mark? When did somebody do something for me that left an impact on my life? This is, this is positive or negative as well? It positive probably, or negative. Because uh, the first thing that jumps to mind is exactly that conversation with that, um, with that guidance counselor. I can remember being so frustrated and so like, F you, F all this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna succeed in my own way. Um, so I think that maybe because we just talked about it, but that's definitely um, that's the one that jumps to mind right now. I always then you're not the first person to actually say that on my podcast, um, but I find it fascinating with people they've when they've been up against something like that. If somebody's made a comment of saying you can't right? There's some people who've taken that and said, well, I guess I can't and have bought into the idea then actually blame the guidance counselor because what mm. they said to me. So that's, that's, that's option. That's door number one. Yeah. Uh, door number two was screw you. Yeah. Right. And it became a, it became the best blessing, right? Because yeah. it launched you into a, into your world. Right. And all you needed for somebody just to, you know, to, to light that fire and you took it into a positive rather than a negative. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that's, yeah, something that, yeah, yeah, rage, it's rage success. You're just yeah. like, <laughs> and, and it's that, it's that, yeah, it's that competitive drive as well that, that helps, that helps with that. And maybe that's why, maybe that, maybe they, they balance each other. Maybe that commitment to transparency now is a counter reaction to that. It's a way of me balancing my sort of innate competitive nature with the ability to, or with the requirement rather to engage people in these solutions rather than just to hammer things through. So, yeah, I don't know. So that, I mean, that guidance counselor could have done, you know, done you a huge favor, right. Which just took years to play out, but yeah, there it is. Never saw it at the time though. Yeah. Thanks, Mr. Vandermolen. <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, you thank him, right. It's like, yeah. you know, at, at the time you, you sure didn't want to thank him, but looking back, it's like, wow. Like you did me a huge favor. Yeah. Right. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a blessing in disguise, right? I, I call it the gift in the ugly box is what I call it. Right. Um, yep. So now what are you doing presently uh, right now, Byron, to better the pond? And more importantly for me is why are you doing it? So let's let's hear all about, you know, uh, builders, designers and brews and the work that you're doing there. For sure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. So um, so like we've talked about before, so my office now, our company's office is in uh, Annex Ales and like five or six years ago, we were here as a project. We were helping put the tap room together 
Um, and so in Alberta here, the craft beer industry changed a lot uh, over the last seven years or so. There used to be there used to be a barrier to entry of something like five hundred thousand liters of beer that you had to brew, uh, which was which was a, a barrier to entry for many small brewers, right? But a few people got together and lobbied the the government um, to get the rules changed. So then we could have microbreweries, and that's led to like a blossoming uh, of a craft beer scene here, which is really interesting. But why that's relevant is we, when we were working in the tap room, we got to see firsthand how that how that played out. So we'd be here working and then um, some guys from a brewery down the road would come in and we'd say, what are you guys doing here? And they'd say, oh, we're here to uh, help um, Annex set up this equipment because we messed it up when we set up our brewery and it was expensive and a pain in the butt and we don't want them to do that. So we're just here to help them. I thought, okay, cool. And then a few days later, a uh, different set of brewers show up with a pallet with a bunch of bags on it. Like, hey, what are you guys doing here with these bags? Like, let's get them out of the way. We're trying to work here. But they're like, oh, we're just dropping off some hops because we had extra and we know that Andrew needs it for his beer. I thought, okay, cool. Like, that, that's neat. And then, and then I thought, okay, doesn't like, I don't have, I don't like, I don't have other builders dropping two by fours off on my job sites, especially not now. But the, but, that's neat and then so i thought okay there's just nice guys they're all friends who knows and then later more brewers came with kegs this time so again what are you guys doing here and they said oh we're just dropping these off uh because when they open the tap room they want to they want to have cold beer on tap and so they're going to sell some of our beer and i thought oh weird I'm like why this in this industry is odd and so then i pulled i pulled uh, the brewers aside later and said guys what's going on like are you just do you just have are you just friends with all these people or like what's the deal and they, and they explained to me that they recognized that being a small industry, um, by building each other up locally, helping to educate consumers, working together on marketing, working together on even staffing, like people jump back and forth from breweries here uh, on like uh, buying, purchasing power and all these different things. By working together locally to educate consumers, they can get a bigger piece of kind of the, the beverage pie from the InBevs and Molsons and Heinekens and um, and the really big multinational companies, and it's also just creates a better creates a better environment. But what that does for the the craft beer industry is it puts them in a position where you can go to Costco and you can buy like fifty pack of Coconut, and it's a dollar twenty something a can. So for that three hundred fifty five to three hundred forty one milliliters of beer, but so you'll pay a dollar twenty a can for that commodity side, but you won't hesitate to go downstairs here and pay six dollars for the same volume of beer. So like a four or 500% markup, but it's because they represent that craft side of the industry where you're getting a better product, a better experience, a connection to the people that made it. Um, and, and I think that's really cool. So when, when I saw that and had that experience and talked to them, I thought, well, why doesn't, why don't we do this in design and construction? Like, why are we all holding our information? And these are my trades and those are your trades. And uh, this is my, idea and that's like so why do we why is there a way we can start to emulate some of that so I reached out to some of my colleagues and of competitors ostensibly on paper to um to say hey guys this is the experience I had how can we do this and so from there uh, we started builders and brews um and it's been really it's been really interesting to pursue and so part of our our mandate now and the way we operate now is Every uh, couple months, we do uh, an online event right now. In the, in the past, we did, and we will again very soon, um, do an in-person event at a local brewery um, where we'll bring in a speaker, like just a, a speaker for a, kind of a quick hit, 
20 minutes, 30 minutes um, with actionable takeaways that people can apply to their businesses the next day. And then we just have an opportunity for, for networking and just having a beer with your, with your colleagues in a way that doesn't exist in the industry right now, because we have like the construction association and the plumbers union and the um, wine and cheese nights with designers when they're looking at new faucets or something, but there's all these like siloed things. There's not many places where all those groups can come together and, and connect meaningfully. Um, and so that's been, it's been neat to see that, uh, see that play out um, and to be involved in that and to be able to take some of the blessings that I've experienced in construction and, and share some of those, um, some of those ideas and things uh, with, with the industry in an effort to make our local industry better ultimately. I call it collaboration. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. I never, <laughs> right? I haven't heard that before, but you know, that totally, that totally makes sense. Collaboration with your competition, right? Yep. Collaboration, and yeah. um, and I think that you know, it, it comes back to even my analogy, right? Is that we're better together, right? We're working towards something as a betterment, right? We're yeah, we of course we're in competition. I mean, who does, who in business doesn't want to succeed? Yeah, but but when we can help each other grow and whatever else, you know. It, we, we grow the thing together and everybody wins instead mm -hmm. of, instead of, so instead of the win lose, right. It's like, it's, it's lately, I don't know, that's been a topic, right. It's like, no one, no one wins a war. Mm -hmm. No one wins a war. Yeah. Ever. Right. So when you're trying to go head to head, right. Well, no one wins because there has to be a win lose. Mm -hmm. So what you're trying to create is a win win. Right. Yeah. And, and create a, and create a better. So I, I think it's, you know, it's interesting in the, in the craft beer industry was, you know, and it's happened here actually, cause I know the uh, CEO of a, a local brewery here, um, Mark Heise owns rebellion and it's the same philosophy, right? It's like, Hey, how can I, you know, Hey, you know, we, we, we your forklift broke down here. Use yeah. ours. Yeah. Oh, you know? know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. we got this, we got this really cool thing that we did. Hey, why don't you try it? Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and try to grow the industry. And again, just because it's back to that, like, it just feels better. Like it feels better to, to operate that way. And I, mm -hmm. I think and hope um, that's where a lot of things are moving. Um, and I, I found it fascinating that you're, you're doing that in the construction industry because I've never heard that before. Yeah, our, our, industry, our industry sucks in a lot of ways. And one of them is, is openness to change. And so if we can play some small part in helping move construction forward. So one, one of the first, one of the most uh, kind of um, interesting moments out of, out of our Builders and Brews work, uh, we, one of our first events we did, we did it on the pre-construction process. And this is, where, this, is the, um, this is where construction has one of its biggest flaws is in terms of like a competitive bidding situation. So the way the, the industry is set up and the way people have been educated by HGTV and, and their uncle who built a deck once and knows a thing about construction is that you got to get three prices. You got to get three prices for everything or those guys are going to screw you. That's just not the right way to build a, a project. And the more custom it gets, the less applicable that method is. So what's better is to put a team together early, say, here's our designer, here's our builder, here's our plan, here's our budget, here's our timeline. Let's put all those things together and let's get a bunch of smart people all working on that problem of how do we deliver that project for that timeline and that budget. Um, and, and so we had a, I had been speaking with a architect and he had a really interesting way to, to approach it and to, uh, he had some visuals and I said, oh man, can you like, do you mind if I put you in front of a group and, and explain this to everybody? Because I think our industry needs to know that this approach is, is out there where you're not, you're not estimating for free, you're developing a team and just even giving people some of the language 
to put that together and explain that to clients. Um, so we did that event uh, at a brewery here called Prairie Dog. Um, this was in 2019, but the but then the feedback coming out of that, a couple of my, um, what did you call them? Collaborated, collaborators, collaboration. A couple of my, a couple of my, a couple of my colleagues that own other construction companies got in touch with me later and said, "Hey, since we did that event, I haven't, um, I haven't estimated a project for free, and my enjoyment of my work has gone up dramatically." And that, that was from two different sources. And I was like, "Holy smokes, that, okay, we've hit something here." And that, that just that felt right. Um, and so that was, that was cool. And that kind of gave us the impetus to, to sort of keep it going and, and keep things moving. And then just last week, actually, yeah, last week we had an event uh, in collaboration with um, BEAC, which is building equality in architecture Calgary. And we had uh, three uh, construction heavy hitters who happened to be women um, presenting on the construction and community building for the YW hub. Um, here in here in Calgary, so we had a representative from the the architect lead, a representative from the developer, and one from the builder, and so we got to hear the story of how that building came together and how their um, their unique career paths uh, were formed, and that was really cool. And then we were able to um, also, based on the ticket sales and the and the sponsor for that event, we were able to write a nice check for the YW Hub as well, which also felt also felt really good. So can you tell me a little bit about that? I was actually going to ask you about that, the YW Hub. So this is, you know, something that, that you're, you know, you're collaborating with other industries and business, um, and of course, involving beer. But, um, but what are you like, what's the YW Hub all about? And, and how is that helping the community? Uh, so the YW Hub is like, so it's like the YMCA, but this is the YWCA. So young women's something, something. I'm not sure what the letters stand for, but what they provide is a, is a, a range of things. They provide emergency services to, um, to women and families that find themselves in a, in a troubling situation. Um, so they have support there. They have, uh, they have operate a little bit like a shelter, but they also have a daycare and they have um, education programs and just do a whole range of things to help um, people that, that need a, need a hand up, right. And need to end uh and so I think that's a great effort to support, especially now in, in COVID and um, with uh, the economy not, not humming along like maybe it once was. There are a lot of people that are struggling and need a place to turn. So the YW Hub provides that, um, provides that resource uh, in, our, in Calgary here. I think it's fantastic. You know, I mean, you know, here you are a home builder and in turn you're helping, you know, women that are, you know, in trouble or, you know, they're, they, they can't make ends meet or whatever case is a place for them to go. So, mm-hmm. you know, something that completely out of a different industry, you're, you're helping the community and, and the people within it. And I, to me, it's those little things. And that's actually one of the reasons I wanted you on here, Byron, is that, you know, because to, to show people what you're doing to better the pond, Right. And to inspire other people to do the same. So, so thank you for all you, you do for making that happen. Yeah, no problem. And it's often like, it's not, and I don't want it to be too like grandiose. This was a, a small event, but often it's just, it's the sharing of ideas and, and connections to the right people at the right time. So the, the analogy I was, or the, the example I had before where those brewers dropped off hops. Mm-hmm. So another event that we did was with Habitat for Humanity. Um, that was last last December so we did that event but what they did is okay what does Habitat for Humanity actually do like people don't really understand that they have a program where um, 
their, their clients uh, have to put in a certain amount of work to help build what's going to become their future home. Mm-hmm. And, it, and they told us a bit more about how we as a construction industry, like what do they need? They don't need carpenters necessarily, but they do need uh, team leads to volunteer. People with construction experience are incredibly valuable there because you'll have like, maybe you have a corporate group or maybe you have those homeowners themselves. You have people who have no construction experience who are supposed to try and build this house. So, <laughs> so they're like, so if any, so we could, so um, team leads in construction, you can go help on a Habitat for Humanity project, but they also have, um, and people kind of know about it, but just sort of tangentially, they have uh, their Habitat for Humanity restore, where if you're, if you're ripping out an old kitchen, don't just throw it in the dumpster, like stack it up on the driveway and Habitat for Humanity will come pick it up and put it in the restore. Then they can either put it into their project so they can sell that material to fund their efforts. So it's like a half step removed. But there is a way that we as a construction industry can share those materials and resources with people um, who who are less fortunate. And that, that to me felt really good. And so similarly to that pre-construction event after the Habitat for Humanity one, um, uh, the, or, the Habitat people called me and said, hey, we've had a bunch of people reach out to, to um, start helping. And we've had material from our projects that has gone to the ReStore now. Um, so it was nice to be able to, to expose the right group of people to the right ideas and connections that, that helped foster that, that collaboration and, and community building. Yeah, and I think, well, you said earlier, but, you know, not trying to make it grandiose, but, and, and, and neither was I, but I look at it as, you know, you're, you're throwing the pebble in the pond, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're throwing the one pebble in and the ripples just keep going out. It's no different than when you had a speaker come in and all of a sudden they say, well, hey, you know, I, I've never done a, you know, an estimate for free since then, right? Like, you just threw the pebble in and the ripples went out and it's, you know, and, and, and so one small thing can make such big changes down the way. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just don't see it at the time. And it's yeah. really kind of no different than what your guidance counselor did for you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Sort of. So <laughs> looking back and looking forward and the lessons that you've learned along the way. So Byron, what, what is, pay me a picture of your golden pond. What does your future look like? Oh, um, that's great. Okay, there's a few different things here. So one is uh, Builders and Brews. So we've had interest from other um, like uh, people in Edmonton and people in Toronto and people in Vancouver who, uh, who have either come to a Builders and Brews event or I've connected with them and they've said, we got to do this here. So one of my one of my dreams for Builders and Brews certainly is to be able to um, turn that into a, a larger organization where part of my world is, uh, is flying to Toronto to help host a Builders and Brews event. Um, that, that would be amazing, especially because then I can make bigger ripples, just expand, expand the pond a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be one. And then in my, in my construction companies, I would love to get back to a place where, um, where I can do my dream scenario in our construction companies. And I think I can get there is to have my team working effectively building three or four beautiful projects, um, at a time. And I'm in the background in a fully equipped woodworking shop. And then with every new home we hand over, I deliver a custom made um, piece of furniture because while I love doing that work, it really is really, really difficult to feed a family just doing uh, <laughs> custom made furniture. So if I can somehow find a back door to, to building custom furniture um, while empowering my team uh, with, uh, with the tools they need to uh, build these homes, um, that, would feel like a, that would feel like a huge win to me. So that's, I love what, it. that's what I'm shooting for. And maybe owning my own brewery. That's also the other side. That's the other sidebar. Well, 
do you really want to own your own brewery? What do you mean? You just have to, you just have to walk through the door. <laughs> yeah, true. No, I just, yeah, good point. <laughs> I, I do, I do love the, uh, the idea though i think that's that's a uh, a fascinating idea of when you know when you build a custom home for someone of uh, making a custom piece of furniture uh for that home or for that owner mm. I, I think that's exceptional it would, who does again, that? It, yeah it would it would just and it would feel good like it's a yeah. unique skill set that that i have and it's something that i want to want to do with, with my life and i think it would be i think it would be meaningful both for me but also for um for the clients and designers that we work with mm-hmm no, I think that's great. And it's just so funny because as I listen to you today, um, I just see this link of you just building relationships with people. That's that's what I'm seeing. And it's just, and it's heartfelt and it's honest and it's authentic. Uh, mm-hmm. And it just actually shines through, right? And that's your way of, of creating your ripples. So here's the last question of the day, Byron. <laughs> Sorry, right. I was nodding. I just found myself nodding on a podcast. I yeah, don't do that. Never, never nod on a podcast. And, and if yes, that's the case, yes, I never yeah. thought of myself as boring. <laughs> um, <laughs> so here we go. If you were standing on the top of a mountain and the whole world was intently listening to you, what would you say? Oh, oh man. Um, so I'll just go with the first thing that jumps to mind. I'd tell people to, to read books. I'd tell people to go read, read more. I, I love reading. It's been a, it's been a, um, a continuous vein through my whole life. Uh, even when, when I was uh, scrapping with my guidance counselor and the teachers and principal at school, I was always reading and always learning. So I think I would, I would tell people to slow down and slow down and read. Hmm. Sage advice. Like the wise goose on the pond. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Byron, I really want to thank you uh, for your time today. I want to thank you for your stories um, and all the ripples that you're creating in the world and the relationships that you're building and inspiring others to do the same. So um, where do people go to find you, to connect with you, Byron? Now that's whether in the construction business, you know, if you want to have a beer or uh, if, you want to, if they want to help out with, uh, you know, builders and brews and, and those, those things. Yeah. Oh man. Um, so the best place is probably uh, uh, brookwright.ca. That's brookwright with a W. Um, that if you email that, it'll get through to me. Um, Instagram is the social media platform that we're most active on. So we're brookwright underscore construction on there and also builders and brews. So I'd encourage people to look those up and a message there uh, will also get through to me um, and, I, and I'll be able to to have a conversation there, but yeah, no, I would welcome that. If, if anything resonates with anybody or if they just yeah, want to have it here in Calgary and you want to have a beer, by all means, reach out. Let's see how we can connect and help each other out. Yeah, absolutely. All right. There you have it folks. We had a great time today. This is Warren Barry flocking off to take you beyond the pond to better the pond because we're better together. Thank you so much, Byron. Thank you, Warren. Well, thanks for landing on the Better the Pond podcast. Do you know someone who should be in our flock? Contact Warren at warren at instinctivesolutions.ca to tell us their story. Until next time, what ripples will you create? Cheers. Cheers.